Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliet Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Me. I want to talk about the fact that I just took the honesty test. What is the honesty test? We've been sleeping with Doc Pro, sleeping at the right temperature, modulating my bed temperature for a minute now. We've been on this thing for a second. Yeah. We were just traveling and I jumped into a hotel room and I didn't realize, but my legs are on fire. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is about your body because your upper body doesn't seem to get that hot, but your legs are like a thousand degrees. Hot legs. Like you see like people have like, I have like restless leg syndrome. I have fire leg syndrome. syndrome. Hot legs. I got so hot and I reminded myself, man, I actually woke up three or four times throwing the like sheet off in just sweating. Ab- abject yeah. like horror. Ah, what it made me realize is how much it has changed my life being able to cool the bed surface down. The Doc Pro has changed my life and I sleep so much better because I don't overheat. Yeah, I mean, I really can't emphasize this enough. Kelly is maybe the hottest sleeper in the known universe. Hot. And ever since we first found the original chili pad way back in 2015. Oh, man. um, It has really transformed Kelly's sleep and his quality of sleep and how long and, you know, just how long and deeply he's sleeping because he's not 100,000 degrees every night. And then here I was again. I'm like, you know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'd be fine without this thing. And I went to one hotel room. Fire and then legs. you were not fine. Fire legs. If you want to sleep cool like Kelly, head over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save on the purchase of any new Cube or Doc Pro. That is sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and be more like Kelly Do every not day. Sweat out your pillow. This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Element. And one of the things that we love and use Element for is to make sure we stay hydrated around our prolific sauna use. Look, we are lucky. (laughs) I like to get hot. It has been a really important practice in terms of hitting the brakes. But as you may or may not know, I am not the greatest at drinking water. No, it's not a natural thing. And subsequently, I end up sometimes missing this opportunity to replace essential electrolytes after I've lost five pounds sweating in the sauna. Yeah. And I mean, now we have just trained ourselves to fill up a huge bottle of water with an element in it and take it into the sauna. And I will say I'm someone who suffers from headaches if I don't hydrate properly when I sauna. And so I need to be super mindful of my hydration around my sauna use. And I found that if I just drink a single element while I'm sitting in the sauna, I can avoid headaches and overall dehydration. Not only that, but cold, cold, Cold tasty watermelon element. Man. I'll tell you what, it makes it a lot more pleasurable to suffer. Right now, if you order through our link, you get a free sample pack with all of Element's flavors. Go to drinkelement.com slash TRS. On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we are pleased to welcome Jim Smith, a.k.a. Smitty. Smitty is the owner of Diesel Strength Conditioning. He's dedicated his life to helping others fall in love with fitness, and he is obsessed. He developed the Aegis Athlete Protocol And he's created a solution for all lifters and athletes who want to train pain-free and reach their goals in and out of the gym. Smitty also co-created the best hands-on practical certification called the CPPS, along with Joe DeFranco. And uh, he's been working with coaches and trainers and lifters over the world for ages. He's highly respected, a world-renowned author and strength conditioning coach lecturer. He's been doing this for a long time. You know, one of the things I enjoyed learning about him so much was just what a lifelong student Smitty is. Oh, he's I mean, obsessed. he 
I think arguably is probably one of the best coaches in the world um, with the best sort of like, you know, pocket full of knowledge, but that doesn't stop him from always trying to take new certifications and learn from others and keep track of what's going on. And he just is like a sponge of information. In, and it was really cool to hear about that. In the strength industry world, he is a fan of coaches and is so ready to just point at excellence, point at what he loves, point at what works. And through that, I mean, think if you ask some of the best coaches in the world about so many, everyone just gushes about him. But his iteration and his synthesis of what some people are doing and sort of integrating into a, a cogent whole, it's really amazing. His new book, Ageless Athlete 5.0, he asked me to write the forward and it took me a second to read the whole thing. And I, what I realized was, holy moly, I don't think we were ready for this book 10 years ago. We weren't sophisticated enough for it. Well, hence Ageless Athlete 5.0. Anyway, I think you guys are all going to really enjoy our conversation with Smitty. He is the nicest person and really fun to listen to. And as our friend Gabby Reese would say, he is a G. Smitty, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. And I'll just get started by saying, what's the deal with the nickname Smitty? For those of you who don't know you, do you want to also share your actual full name? It's Jim Smith. <laughs> just had the default <laughs> Smitty nickname since I was a kid. So I just been running with it. I, it's actually weird when someone calls me Jim because I, <laughs> it's very rare that I hear that. This is a real departure, but I went to law school 20 years ago and they still teach or did the full Socratic method. So you just learn everybody's last name. Mm. Um, and so anybody I went to law school with, I, their first name is their last name to me. You know, I call my best friend Johnson and there's actually been a few times where I've been ready to introduce him right. to someone and his actual first name escapes me because I don't know him. You know, his first name is Aaron, but I don't <laughs> know him as that. So I imagine you have people around you who are like, have no idea what your first name Smitty is. Smitty Smith. Yeah. Smitty Smith. Anyway. Yeah. It's, it's very few people that, uh, do know my first name is Jim, but. Yes, I can relate. All right. So Ready State uh, listeners, I want to introduce you to Jim. Jim has been a feature in my life for as long as I've been a coach. Your collaboration with Joe DeFranco, your your certification, the information you've put out, your even friendship that ours goes back over 10 years now, you have been such a component to my development as a coach can you tell us where you are and sort of what your day-to-day -day job is looking like now before we dive into all the fun stuff that you've got going on? Absolutely. Well, I did want to preface everything with saying that uh, I do remember the first time I saw Mobility Wad, and I actually went back and looked at the actual date so I could speak intelligently about it, but it was August 2010, episode one, in the backyard, and uh, a <laughs> young man, sorry, buddy, a young man with beautiful hair and <laughs> an infectious smile. And uh, I, I actually wanted to use that as a lesson because you were one of the very, very first. And I had been in the industry for probably 11 or so years prior to that. But you were one of the very, very first fitness channels that blew up. And I, I, I boil it down to one thing, not just the information was revolutionary, but it was consistent. The thing that made you different way back in 2010 was every single day. There was content. And again, it was bringing concepts into our daily practice that were no one ever had ever seen before, but it was the consistency of it. I think that really set you apart back then because no one was doing it 
certainly at that level, but also no one was doing it every single day. And uh, that's what made it stand out for me as a coach, because that type of information was typically reserved for a seminar or a, a DVD or some type of academic book. But I wanted to give you props there. And that was sort of when I first became aware of you. And ever since then, I was on a journey of trying to become your friend and uh, <laughs> ingratiate myself to you because uh, you had made such a, a big impact in the programs that I've uh, used with my athletes. But my day-to-day, -day, uh, like Kelly and Juliet said, I'm Jim Smith. I've been a strength coach since the late 1990s. Uh, it seems so ancient nowadays, but uh, I've transitioned. I typically back in the day, we're doing small groups of wrestlers in my area, football players, baseball guys. And I've transitioned to private online coaching and become more of an entrepreneur, if you will, in the online space as far as informational products. So what I've learned over the last you know, 25 years in the industry, but almost four decades in the gym, have been to use not only my knowledge, but my experience. And I think that's really where the rubber meets the road as far as what a good coach is. They're not only relying on what they've obtained through books and DVDs and seminars and stuff, but it's where they've applied it in the gym setting, gotten results, adjusted from there, controlled the uh, result space, and then moved in and progressed forward. So it's really a combination of not only knowledge, but that experience is what really sets apart the really good coaches. And uh, I've tried to bring that innovation of knowledge and experience into all the stuff I do online now. Thank you for taking note of the consistency of the content back in 2010, because I think nowadays, you know, everybody's posting so much on social media that it seems normal, right? You know, it's, it's sure. really common for everybody to just be posting, posting, posting. But it was, first of all, it almost broke us as humans. <laughs> Juliet was um, at one point I, I the was internet the videographer. World, she was the world record holder for internet stretching video. Yeah, I, I was videoing all those. But anyway, yeah, you know, thank you for acknowledging that I had never thought of it in those terms, because now you just take for granted that people are, you know, pumping out content on a daily basis. But I think you're right. It was super unusual back then, just the accessibility and the consistency. So thank you for that. Yes, and then, you know, in just describing what you're doing today, I thought of like 25 questions I want to ask you. But before we get there, I would love to just hear sort of the backstory of how you got into strength and conditioning in the first place. I did read that you grew up on a farm. So I assume you were an athletic kid. And you parlayed that into a career in strength and conditioning. But if you could just give us a sort of backstory of how you got into it in the first place. And and also, like, what did that look like in the late 90s? Like, if you're a strength and conditioning coach in 1999, like, <laughs> right. you know, I think we can really envision a lot of that today. But it was really a different world back then. That's sort of a two-part question. But if you could answer that part. Yeah, absolutely. Well, unfortunately, I was not athletic. And I have absolutely no talent whatsoever. <laughs> the only thing I have is grit, if you will. I'm, I'm very consistent and I'm very hardworking because I did grow up on a farm and I do understand that. I had my first job when I was 14 and not only working on our farm, but also working down the road at a different farm. And then I got a job at a lumberyard, but I thought I was strong. And my journey in fitness was I was a farm kid so I was throwing around, you know, 50 pound hay bales, uh, following behind the baler and picking up hay bales, putting them in the truck and taking them over to the barn when I was very young. And I thought I was strong. And it was one day after high school 
where the wrestlers were in the hallway and there was no workout area or gym in the high school. They just kind of brought all this, these pieces of equipment out in the hallway and all the wrestlers were training out there. And I, I was no talent and the smallest guy in the team. Right. So I started wrestling in my freshman year and I was a 98 pounder in ninth grade. And uh, when I graduated high school, it was actually the 125 pounder. So not much progress in uh, four <laughs> years. But long story short, again, I was the farm kid. I had farm strength. But when I started lifting weights, I was super weak. And it was very, very frustrating. And I got into fitness as part of being a wrestler. But also my stepfather was jacked. He was always... He had a, a full York barbell set out in the garage. And I remember being a young kid on the wrestling team, jump roping to Zeppelin's cashmere <laughs> out in the garage during the winter, during sick, <laughs> during uh, wrestling season. And I just remember looking up to him and it was always something I wanted to emulate. I just love training from the very first time I failed at a bench press in the hallway at the high school. I just loved training so much, just how it made me feel. And I always looked up to my stepfather. And when I got into college, I continued on with training, strength training, and it was right out of college where I actually went and got my first NSCA certification. You know, that was the standard back then. And to your question, Juliet, what strength conditioning looked like back then was tons of West Side Barbell stuff, tons of seminars where you would travel every weekend to go to a seminar or NSCA uh, state clinic. I remember one of my first interactions with uh, a coach that I look up to today, Buddy Morris, was at Pennsylvania State. NSCA clinic where he was talking about bands and chains. And I remember after his talk at this seminar, I went up and I waited in line with everybody else. And that's how it used to be done. And when it was my turn, I was like, can you tell me what it means when you use chains on the bar? And he, he started explaining very simply accommodating resistance and all this stuff. And I was just blown away because I came from a traditional bench squat dead barbells only, you know, very few dumbbells type situation in this rural Pennsylvania high school. And it just blew me away. So what did I do? I went home, threw everything out and put chains on everything I could find <laughs> in the weight room. <laughs> and I know you probably both remember, but maybe Kelly, maybe more. The original West Side website was deepsquatter.net. I don't know if you remember that, but that was one of um, the original informational sites. And this is right when Dave Tate branched off from West Side and started Elite. And his Q&A section, right, was daily Q&A with some best powerlifters in the world. And then Louis had deepsquatter.net. And, you know, T Nation was talking about conjugate and all this stuff early on. And that was my education. I, I remember early on just traveling every weekend, trying to go to every seminar, you know, and to patting myself on the back. I, I'm very personable, right? And I value relationships and I value loyalty. And back then I was making friends with Dave Tate. I was on their Q&A staff, Alan Cosgrove, Jay Ferrugia, you know, all these amazing coaches that were really making a change back in the day. And then Eric Cressy, when he came up in the early 2000s and Mike Robertson and all these guys, Kelly Sturette in 2010, all these you know, me standing on the shoulders of giants, it's just been an evolution of my own journey as a coach from that small kid in the high school hallway to where I am today, where 
you know, I've been through every iteration. I I've done the Olympic weightlifting thing. I've done, you know, the med ball thing, the powerlifting thing and the, the mobility thing. And, you know, the kettlebell thing, you know, I, I've, I did the RKC with Pavel before he left Dragon Door, all these experiences. Thankfully, I'm so grateful because I have this foundation of knowledge and I have this information at my fingertips that I can really provide better value to all my clients and anyone that's coming to me for help. But that's sort of uh, my journey as a coach and, you know, where we are today, you know, on this wonderful podcast. I know Kelly has a couple of follow-up questions I can tell, but before he gets to that, you know, during this time, because you obviously, and I, I want to talk more about what you're doing today and in your online platform and podcast and book, but at that time, in addition to obviously being a sponge of all things strength and conditioning as a human, which is obvious that you were and probably still are, but what are you actually doing? Are you coaching at college, at high schools, in gyms? Like what's your day job? How are you actually making a living at this time? Yeah, I'm, I've transitioned to all online programming. We run, Joe D and I run our certification, which is the CPPS and, uh, I think to our, our credit, I believe it's the most practical certification for personal trainers in the industry. Again, because I've done every other certification, I know that <laughs> uh, certification and, and to the amazing contribution, the Ready State and Juliet and, and Kelly have given the industry. What makes the Ready State and the CPPS different is the application, right? So it's important to understand the background and have all these these fitness facts at your fingertips. But if you can't apply it, you're no good to anyone, right? So it's the application of the information. And the way we put it is every single client that comes to you for help is a puzzle. And we're trying to find the right puzzle pieces. We're trying to find the right answers. And we're, we're putting together this scenario. And it's really a discovery for each client trying to figure out what they truly need to move better, to feel better, to perform better. And that takes an experienced coach and that takes someone that knows the knowledge, but also has applied it to so many different clients from so many different backgrounds with so many different issues. I think that's why the practicality of our certification is so great. So we do the certification that's for, we really market it to coaches, trainers, and lifters. Because, it, you know, this information isn't just for the coaches and trainers to help their clients. It's also for lifters who love training and they just want to train better. They want to train for longevity. They want to train uh, without getting hurt. They want to get a training effect without harm. Right. And that's really the goal of any coach. But we also run individualized client programming through the Train Heroic app. Right. So we have hundreds of people that we've transitioned from a membership site. I don't know how much you want to go into the entrepreneur aspect, but membership sites, while they provide a repository of great information, you know, you can put PDFs in there, you can have libraries of information. We really lost that aspect of daily workouts. So it's, it's great to put in like a 12-week program into a membership site, but having an app where someone can pull it up, take it to the gym, you know, most people are transitioning away from a physical journal and they prefer to have their workouts on an app. So we have the app thing. I do informational products. I have a series that uh, kind of, I think why we're here today is the Ageless Athlete series, which is my pain-free, joint-friendly, longevity-based programming of where I've taken the information and knowledge I've gained over the last four decades in the gym of 
how to like train around pain, if you will, or get a training effect when you're not feeling that great. And I just came out with my latest iteration or edition of that series too. So basically I'm online, I'm doing informational products, which recently have ranged from downloadable videos, eBooks, our online workout app, and uh, now the Ageless Athlete series. You're so prolific. And one of the things that I appreciate about you and your partner in the certification process, Joe D, Joe DeFranco, is that you've always been transparent about working with athletes typically. And one of the things that I think is confusing for modern people trying to get into health or they know they lift a weight, the reason why is often confusing. And sometimes I think CrossFit and some of that functional fitness has muddied the waters a little bit further. It's gotten, of course, it's got where CrossFitters has gotten people involved, but it's almost like there's you only fitness and you train so that you can train so that you can train so you can train. It's like you're you're prepping, you're doomsday prepping your house and you're never, deadlift's never big enough and your engine's never big enough. And there's n- little application towards that. One of the things that I appreciate about your coaching is that you came initially into strength conditioning through the lens of one, you were an athlete and exposed to this. And the reason you bench squatted and deadlift and did those things was to become a better wrestler. And the old school, and I'll just put it in quotation marks, old school, because it's only the 90s, but that's still old school. The repositories of their information were either Olympic lifters or powerlifters. They were really the experts in barbell training, and they weren't necessarily the experts in how to train for sports. It was sort of this interpretation of how do we take these powerlifting methods and actually train people who whose job is not to powerlift, but to play football or, or basketball and some of these other things. And it's taken us a second to sort that out. And I think one of the One of the issues is that, and you experienced this, is that you had a really fit, durable kid, you, who could throw around sandbags, who looked crappy under a barbell, who was weak in the traditional terms. And I feel sometimes modern strength and conditioning makes people who are really good athletes, really good at sport, look bad sometimes because we've codified and homogenized and we've become so precious about the gym. What do you think we're getting wrong about strength and conditioning for athletes and what can we do better about strength and conditioning for people who are middle-aged and want to feel better? See how he just like pointed at me? I went like this. I'm like this. <laughs> We're the exact same age. No, I'm not, oh, <laughs> you're older than me, woman. A couple months, right? That's, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> My wife is six months older and uh, I never let her forget it. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, same. Exactly the same for and Kelly wiser. and I. So I'm, I'm going to answer your very good question with one word, specificity, right? So training athletes, what most people don't realize is everything that we do in the gym, everything we do on the field is specific to the activity. And Verkoshansky has this principle of dynamic correspondence. And he brought that out in the early super training text. And people mostly use super training as like a reference. They go in and they look around. And I remember when I wrote my first tome. It was the chaos manual back in the early 2000s. It was 500 pages. And I remember going through super training page by page. And the principle of dynamic correspondence was revealed to me. And it basically says that just as a side note, Tom Myslinski, I don't know if you remember him, but he used to work with uh, Buddy Morse. He did a thesis that was made available for free on Elite. And he talked about the dynamic correspondence. But basically, Verkashansky said, a movement is not truly functional 
right? Unless it matches the duration of the movement, the intensity of the movement, it engages the same muscle groups at the same joint angles as the movement that you're trying to develop. And it was just this awakening for me that the things that we do in the gym are truly GPP. They're just general preparation. We're building the base of the pyramid. And the wider we build the base, the higher we can build the peak. And with athletes, we must understand that functional for them is playing their sport, engaging in practice, running sports-specific drills. That's truly functional. Now, functional for a bodybuilder is Smith Machine bench press, right? So functional is specific to the athlete, functional is specific to the client, functional is specific to whatever you're trying to do. So what Virko Shansky said in super training for athletes can be applied to the mom and pop. They're trying to move better, feel better, take their groceries in in one trip, lift their kids, you know, all those different things. So what I said before, we're really on a path of discovery when they come to us to figure out what application of this general training will be functional to bring them to where they want to be. I think I answered that maybe. Yeah. No, you completely did. Okay. So I don't know if you've spent a lot of time working with kids, but you obviously are a very experienced strength and conditioning coach. And when you were talking about just general physical preparedness, what I see in youth sports, and it's just on our mind because we've got a couple of kid athletes who are in high school, is just this major misunderstanding amongst parents and it seems like a lot of sports-specific coaches about what strength and conditioning for kids means. And I think from my perspective, not being a strength and conditioning coach, but at least having been around it and known a gym for a long time, is that you know most kids are, regardless of sport, are need to get stronger and learn how to move better and care about their mechanics and practice their balance and stability and agility. Like there's some sort of basic things that I would put all under GPP. Mm -hmm. But where do you think we've like lost our way, parents and coaches alike in sports, thinking that like, okay, you know, our kids play water polo, for example, that their strength and conditioning should be like this super squirrel water polo strength and conditioning. When Kelly and I take the perspective, they're like, oh, well, they're all weak. And yeah, maybe they should do a little more shoulder stuff because they're shoulder specific athlete, but like by right. and large, they just need to get stronger, more agile, more fit, mm -hmm. strong, you know, stronger. I, I don't know. What's your take on that? And have you done any work with kids or what's your general feeling? I have worked with a lot of youth wrestlers and youth football players. I always like to give a shout out to Ben Anderson. He's one of our CPPS coaches that does a lot of work with youth athletics. But to your point, Juliet, youth sports, unfortunately, I remember Way back in the day, I was approached by a mom when I was training a bunch of youth athletes. And she said that I want my kids to do the things I see on Instagram. And she was talking about battle ropes and tire flips and uh, farmer's walks and all these different things. And I'm like, look over at your child. I didn't say that it was more tactful, but uh, <laughs> uh, they can't even do a bodyweight squat. Right. So to your point, Young athletes need stability. They need to understand body awareness. They need more control in their movement. And the way we kind of implement that is, I'm going to give another shout out to Kelly, because again, he's one of my mentors, but uh, he talks about positions and shapes. So if they can't hold a shape of a squat, how can I ever hope to progress them to a different training means that requires more stability that has 
multi-planar or multi-angle joint specificity or uncontrollable movement or chaotic movement or non-pattern movement. The pattern and the positions drive stability. And it's that stability we can work from, right? So when we talk about creating midline stability, we talk about positions. We talk about prone, supine, quadruped, half kneeling, standing, you know, all these different positions because what do they drive? Midline alignment and midline stability. Once we understand that, then we can start integrating movements of the extremities. We could challenge it with breathing. We could challenge it with strength training. We could challenge that midline stability with movement. That's where we move from fundamental positions to fundamental movement because it's that transition from positional strength, positional isometrics, positional joint integrity to then progressing the movements of the extremities. That's really strength training, right? So we're moving from that position to fundamental movement patterns push-ups, lunges, squats, hinging, hinging with neutral posture. All those things then progress us. And as you can see, it's sort of earn your right to every single step. I earn my right to move from positions to movement. I earn my right to move from movement to strength training. It's an earn your right progression to begin loading patterns because we all know once we add tension into the body, that's when we can facilitate greater strength. So that's a long-winded answer to say that young athletes, in my opinion, need more stability. Once we give them that stability, then they can start demonstrating more strength and control and better integrity in their movement and their balance improves, their coordination improves, all that stuff. They don't need battle ropes and tire flips and all that stuff. They need the basics. And once we progress from the basics, they're going to demonstrate with their movement their ability to earn the right to the next phase of that pyramid that we're building. So just to tack on to that, our water polo daughter was recently described by one of her coaches as noodly. <laughs> Kelly, she's 14, she's 5'10". She's, she's, she's working big, it out. Like Kelly basically does a lot of like overhead squatting with an empty barbell. I mean, it's just this really basic stuff that he's just trying to, yeah, like trying to denoodle her. There's a more technical term as instability, but exactly. I mean, that's what kids need. Yeah, the basis is really coordination. Everyone thinks you need to be stronger, but you have to coordinate that that organization as a child grows. Oh. Man, their coordination just gets trashed. I just saw Franz Bosch talk about the impacts of hypertrophy on coordination and that if you get someone too big too fast, they don't have a chance to integrate all those new forces yeah. and our powerlifters out there will listen. If you've lost a bunch of weight, mm -hmm. your movement changes. You don't know how to coordinate your bench press all of a sudden. All your angles and leverages are off and your setup and everything's different. You know, I, I have these awakening moments just from a flippant comment from people that I've met over the years. One of my uh, good friends, AJ Roberts, you know, I, I visit him many times out to Westside. I, I can tell you a few stories about me training at Westside, but AJ said this very poignant thing. He said, mass moves mass. And to your point, I never forgot that because he said that when your cross-sectional hypertrophy changes, your leverage change, right? So imagine a powerlifter who's changing weight classes, his leverage is changing. And then, you know, not talking even squat suit, changing out the squat suit or whatever, but that's a very true fact. Mass moves mass and those bigger guys get bigger because it shortens their levers, right? You have a shorter lever, you're stronger. 
You're moving the bar through a shorter range of motion. So all this stuff is interconnected. And that's why I always say movement is so complex. It's so complex and we're, we're, we're figuring it out. And I almost cried the other day. One of my uh, training partners out of the blue, I'm about to cry right now, just because I, I say this stuff all the time in my, my training group, but we were bent, uh, not bench pressing, we were cable flies for chest. And uh, I said, oh man, this feels really good. And he goes, if it doesn't feel good, we change the line of tension. And I was like, oh my God, like I've trained with this guy for like 10 years. And I just remember saying that a thousand times to him, but just for him to repeat that back to me, just, it was just such a moment because, you know, you're, you're changing people's lives and I'm very close with him. So for him to say that to me, it means like he was listening, but <laughs> strength training at its most basic level. And this is, this is where the complexity begins to come in. Strength training is all about facilitating lines of tension. And when someone cannot facilitate a line of tension, linking multiple muscle groups across multiple joints segments, then we have energy leaks. To Kelly's point, we have positions of inhibition. We have uh, what we call dead spots, right? So imagine we have a client who has real tight hip flexors, we ask them to do a split squat. They can't go into that degree of hip extension. So there's a dead spot there. You'll see when they're doing a split squat, they'll jump through, you know, a two to three inch range of motion because they can't facilitate that deceleration and that quad contraction because their hip is extended and they don't have that potential. So there's positions of inhibition, but strength training is about lines of tension. And, and to everything I wrote about in the Ageless Athlete, 5.0 book, we have to figure out what line of tension I can facilitate to help you perform this movement pattern without pain. And that's really what I've got at in all the, the techniques in there, you know, changing the angle of the bench and adding bands in this certain way or uh, biasing a joint in a certain way. But I'm just trying to facilitate lines of tension. There's There's been studies about even the smallest degree of inflammation inhibits muscular contraction, right? If you have a swollen knee, I mean, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir and you guys know all this, but, you know, uh, voodoo bands and all these different things to facilitate blood flow and decrease in swelling that facilitates or potentiates greater muscular contraction. So you can cement ranges of motion. You can develop control in ranges of motion if you find a, a line of tension that helps them move with control. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. We just want to take a minute to remind you about something we are super proud of and really looking forward to, which is the launch of our next book, Built to Move, on April 4th, so just in a few weeks. I think you described it best recently as a prequel to everything we've ever done, except we had to get through the canon, the trilogy, the epic, before we could even go back and write the prequel. This book solves so many problems for people about what is it I need to do day to day that isn't training, isn't some fat burning keto diet, and it shows people how they can feel better in their bodies, even if they don't love diet and exercise. Yeah, and this book was really 10 or 15 years in the making and highlights the things that you and I actually do every single day, day in, day out consistently. And I think that's one of the things I'm the most proud of is it's sort of a, a look into like what we do every day that actually works for us. We have created 10 physical and behavioral vital signs that are objective. You know, above and below, and you can see how as we've gotten more mature and maybe as dare say a little older, 
we realize we just don't have infinite free time. We've got to figure out ways to help people engage in better, more healthy, durable behaviors in ways that make sense to them on the day-to-day. So if you want to learn more about our book, head over to builttomove.com and you can pre-order a copy at your local bookstore or any online retailer. Aegis Athlete, you've mentioned it a few times. One of the reasons we're having this talk is you just put out this new book, the most recent edition. What is your intention? What is an ageless athlete and who is this book for? And also, did you say this is Ageless Athlete 5.0? Yes. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I just want to... When you write Ageless Athlete when you're 25, it means different than when you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) The whole series started with uh, another mentor as I'm just uh, so fortunate and grateful to have all these great mentors along the way, Steve Maxwell. So Steve Maxwell is the first American black belt in jujitsu under the Gracies. He's a longevity expert. He's a mobility expert. He's just been in the game. I've said I've been in the industry 25 years. He's been in the industry uh, 50 years. You know, so he's, you know, 70 years old, mobile, strong. He's been in martial arts his whole life. He was an old wrestler. You know, some of the things that uh, I really connect with. But the original Ageless Athlete was a video series where Steve and I got together and we filmed our top sort of joint friendly exercises for, again, the the strength training movement patterns, horizontal push, horizontal pull, quad dominant, uh, hip dominant, vertical pull, vertical, you know, all the the strength training movement patterns. And we filmed this library, this arsenal of joint friendly exercises, because our intent was to find a library of exercises that have the greatest potential to allow more people who kind of dinged up shoulder issues, knee issues, hip issues, allow them to train better and without pain. And that led into Ageless Athlete 2.0. I have that original library of exercise, but then I started putting structure. To Kelly's point, I, I saw an Instagram post where he's talking about the supple leopard and transitioning to built to move where he's putting structure around the program. Again, the great coaches know that the structure is needed, one, for process, right? And if I have a process and they have structure, then there's repeatability. It doesn't matter if Kelly's putting you through the session, I'm putting you through the session, Juliet's putting you through the session, there's structure, and if there's structure and there's a system, then there's repeatability. So I knew that I had to put structure around Ageless Athlete so that people could implement it in their own home gyms. And to your question, Aces Athlete is for everybody, even 18-year-olds, because it's going to teach you now how to train the right way. It's going to give you structure so that when you're my age, you're 50 and you're still training, you're still trying to get after it, you know what you're doing. You haven't done the stupid mistakes that I had. You don't have the, the separated shoulder and the herniated lumbar disc that I have. You don't have to make the same mistakes because you're training at 18 as if you're 50. If that makes sense. And if you do that, you're going to be able to train the rest of your life. So the goal of every edition of Aceless Athlete is, can you enjoy training and getting after it in the gym for the rest of your life? And if you, you have structure, you're on built to move and you understand Kelly's uh, and Juliet's structure and their their philosophy and the Aceless Athlete, all these things are just working together because we care about you falling in love with fitness and staying in love with fitness for the rest of your life. Can I just ask a tactical question? Sure. The first edition of Ageless Athlete, was it like a VHS video series? <laughs> because if I'm getting the timeline right, it was definitely before the internet and you said it was all video. It was in 2006. 
It was a DVD series. And then I, I trained. Can you please send one to us? Oh, of course. Absolutely. I just feel like we whatever. need it for our library. Yeah, absolutely. You would love it. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen a lot of it. But what's really cool about Steve is he brings a lot of his martial arts training and, and a lot of things he's learned globally. Like he's been to gyms all over the world. Some of the nuances to the movements and how he breathes. One of the biggest things I picked up recently from him and we talk about breathing in our CPPS. We talk about breathing. Uh, I talk about breathing in Ace's Athlete, and I know Kelly does. But one of the biggest things he brought to my attention recently was the fact that martial artists never hold their air. They sip their air in and out, and they never use their air to create tension in the body. There's tension there. They're moving. They're controlling. And, you know, I think he was speaking specifically of like jujitsu. But the air is never held. And one of the things that he showed me even way back to 2006, when he did a pull up, he was sipping air all the way up on the pull up, small air in and out to the top of the pull up and the same thing on the way back. So he never held his air, which could be contraindicated if you're doing a, a max effort lift or you go to West Side, you, Louis says, you know, keep your <laughs> mouth shut. You don't want to let your mouth open because you're going to let that air out. But we're speaking at two different ends of the spectrum here. We're talking elite powerlifter versus longevity and thoughtfulness to the breathing aspect while you're under tension, while you're under duress. So that was one of the the eye-opening things recently because the breath is, I mean, that could be a whole podcast in, a, in and of itself because there's so many complexities to that and there's so many variations. You have Wim Hof, you have apnea breathing, you have CO2 tolerance training, you have all these different, when you're playing your sport, it's more reflexive, you're doing powerlifting, you're holding your air. There's so many complexities to that that you can get lost in, in the weeds, but it's like everything in the weight room and on the field. Breathing is specific to what you're doing. Let, let me jump in and say- one of the, I think the hallmarks, and I had the great pleasure and honor of writing a forward trying to explain Ageless Athlete, this version of Ageless Athlete. I can't wait to see how the next person tries to introduce and explain the next edition of this masterpiece. It's clear that you are so iterative. You, my experience with you is that you're this open vessel who has this incredible experience, but you're always looking for how do these things relate what aspect of this system helps me refine my thinking so that I can meet the person in front of me so much in specifically in fitness and training today, we see that people are very, feels very like a culture war and that mm -hmm. this is my Kung Fu. This is my dance style. This is my dance space, you know, heart style small. And, and do you think, you think that young coaches have lost the ability to go? I mean, Juliet for a long time was so, supportive when I said, I would need to go train with this coach or I need mm -hmm. to go, you know, learn this. And, and she'd be like, all right, go down and sleep on their couch, you know, and, and work it out. And the number of coaches that came to our gym over the, you know, the 17 years, 16 years that we were open was really immense and that we would yeah. invite people in because we felt like there is value in all of these styles, but the magic is in the synthesis and iteration. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you have been so good at being so open to so many modalities and not necessarily highly influenced by a certain type. Well, first I want to say a uh, shout out to Juliet and my wife, because uh, it doesn't matter how many years I'm in the gym. Women are infinite times stronger than any man I've ever met. 
So I'm going <laughs> to throw that out there. Uh, so we're wasting our time in the gym if we ever want to try to catch up with any woman uh, in our life. So shout out to you, Juliet. I can imagine <laughs> you, what Kelly has put you through, unfortunately, these many years. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a joke. It's anyway. been a lot. No, yeah, totally, totally kidding. I get it. So you're not wrong. To answer your point, Kelly, it's frame of reference. These young coaches have five years in. I'm 40. I'm 40 years in the gym. I'm 25 years as a coach. And I was hungry. I was, I was, I was, I don't even know the word. I was so starving for information because, you know, I didn't come from much and I was always outwardly pushing towards something better. Right. So I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I couldn't stop. I came from being a farm kid. So I knew hard work. Right. So regardless of what happened, I knew pushing forward, hard work, keep your head down, always keep looking to the future. And that's been to my detriment because I can't slow down, right? I, ca I can't enjoy the moment because just because I'm done with ageless five doesn't mean I'm not thinking about ageless six. I can't settle in because I'm always looking again with that mindset of it's never enough. And, you know, that's my personality. That's my detriment. But me coming from, you know, that deficit has built me into someone who's always has that white belt mentality, right? I'm always thinking about who can teach me, right? So we, we run the certification course, but I learn from every single coach that comes in there because I'm asking them questions. How do you do it? How do you get your athletes better? How do you get your clients better? What are you doing with your clients that's really working? I'm dying to know knowledge. And I, I want to know because the more valuable information I can get, the more valuable my services and the more people I can help. It's just my my mission. I, I just got to help more people. See, now I'm going to get emotional again, but it comes from sometimes, you know, the hardest workers in the room come from a deficit and I've never been closed minded. I've, I've always wanted to learn. I want to get better. And one of the things that I did well was Early on, I did throw everything out. Remember that story with Buddy Morris? I came back and threw chains, chains on everything. But as I grew as a coach and as I got more confident because that confidence came from knowledge, but also experience, the more experience I got, the more I knew my program was good. And I didn't have to throw out the entire program. I could just tweak it a little bit. I could be a little bit more sophisticated with the warmups. I could have my clients do nasal only warmups, have them be more deliberate with their movements. When we got into the training session, I could put in fillers because I understood the nuances of individualized technique, but the warmup wasn't quite enough. Let's put a little bit extra in here in between for active recovery so that their technique progressively improves. So those are just examples, but the younger coaches nowadays, they believe that the knowledge they have, they're like what I we call a bad coach. They think that their program is the absolute best. I'm not putting anyone down. I'm just saying their frame of reference is too limited. They haven't been in the gym for 40 years. So if they're going to tell me that they might have a 40-year-old client and they're forcing them to do a certain thing, I would say to them, experience has shown me many times what I have on the workout sheet for my 40-year-old client is 90% not what we're going to do after that client comes in and we begin assessing and watching her warm up because their current state of trainability changes day to day depending on how well they slept, how much nutrition, did they, you know, go for a walk in the park with their grandkids. You know, all these different things will feed forward because you know fatigue 
right? Recovery and, and the things that work against recovery are cumulative, right? So we have to, we can only train as efficiently as we can recover. And that's really important to understand. So the young coaches, I hope, hopefully a few listen to this podcast and they understand that me as a coach, I'm still not done, right? I'm 25 years in learning as a coach and, and interacting with wonderful people like you and all these industry leaders. I I, I got to tell you, I, I've met all of them and I'm sure that some of them would say that, you know, I'm, an, I'm a good guy or whatever, but I, I know a lot of industry leaders. I've been in, in front of them. I've corresponded with them. They're part of my network. Again, I'm very loyal and I have a good reputation. I hope that they can listen to what I'm saying now and understand that your journey as a coach is lifelong. I'm still learning. I still want to know. So if you're not in it like that, you're in the wrong industry. And, and me saying that I'm doing all my training online, I'm doing informational products. It's been 25 years for me to get there. I was in the trenches. I was training clients. I was doing small groups, all those different things. You're trying to go from zero to online. It's the same way as young athletes trying to go from zero to overhead squats. There's a progression there. There's experience. There's maturity. There's things that you have to, milestones that you have to hit to progress forward until you get there. So I'm grateful for my journey. Let me jump in and just say one of the things that Juliet and I challenge a lot of people about is where we always say, hey, you should go experience some other method of training or go take a yoga class or jump into a Pilates class. We even recommend this for our daughters. Like we'll be up in the mountains and there's like, there was a Pilates class over the break and uh, our girls have never done Pilates. We're like, you should go do that. See how you do. See how well your software works. How, and one of the things I love about your own experience is that you really go in and jump in and be like, well, can I Olympic lift? Can I swing kettlebells? Can I? And as a coach, we love, when coaches go and apply their learning and their own experience in a completely different environment, can you understand the signposts? Can you understand what the goals are? Can you understand what the intention is? Mm -hmm. And going and having that experience as being a, a, a you know, a joiner and trying to understand and, and figure that out is so valuable to your own ability as a coach. And as an athlete, there is so much to be gained by saying, I'm going to test my fitness mm -hmm. or my skill set in this kind of corollary piece. I love that. Yeah. Well, one of the questions that I had, and I love what open-minded sponge of a coach and human you are, and obviously someone who really values relationships, but it's interesting to see how both your business and our business have transitioned to largely being online. We actually moved our 101 and 102 courses online before the pandemic, so it wasn't a function of that. We just sort of saw the writing on the wall. But I do remember this time period you're talking about between like, you know, 2005, early CrossFit, like when I got my CrossFit certification and and then when we moved our courses online, which was like in the 2017 timeframe, this was like this magical time I felt like in strength and conditioning where it was so emergent mm -hmm. and there were literally seminars every weekend. Um, and it wasn't just strength and conditioning coaches taking them. It was, you know, anybody who was, you know, athletically minded or was doing a sport or CrossFit or weightlifting or whatever. And these things would be packed. I mean, Kelly and we had a whole team of coaches traveling around the country teaching these seminars that would be sold out every weekend. And then, you know, on the off weekends, Kelly, as a coach, would also go on his own to all of these in-person seminars. And I'm sure, obviously, COVID was a big impact, but I actually saw that start to wane long before COVID, like a few years before COVID. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I guess I wanted to see your take on that because I think my take is that it's a bit of a loss for the community generally. And 
you know, and the opportunities for young coaches, I think are less because I don't think there's as many seminars because not as many people are going and right. It's just sort of compounding, but I just want to get your take on why do you think we contracted in terms of that? Cause it really was like a seminar attending heyday. So, so insightful. And I think the broader picture would just be to say that the more we're connected, the less we're connected. The social media has led people to believe that uh, relationships are built online when fortunately, and I'm grateful for this as well, that I had the opportunity to travel to all these seminars. I mean, to your point, I was traveling and networking and you know, one of the biggest networking tools is the follow-up. You know, I, I I think I went down to Virginia to see Kelly at Mobility Wad 101 or 100 or it was at... Uh, Chris Andreas. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I followed up with him afterwards. You know, it, it when you meet someone, you're developing these relationships and you're, you know, ba- basically, I you know, there's nothing I could have gave Kelly, but I would just say, like, if you ever need anything, let me know. And I really appreciate you know, your hard work, putting this course together, all these different things. But those relationships, those interpersonal relationships are so critical. I've seen this so many times when I meet a coach nowadays, they don't look you in the eye. Their persona online is this outgoing person where, you know, they're very confident. And But when you meet them in person, their head is down. They won't shake your hand. They're, they're very uh, quiet and reserved that one-on-one interpersonal relationship and those connections and and building relationships like that has been lost due to social media, due to the pandemic. We're scared of one another. We're we're fearful of one another when we really should be coming together. That, That connection really has been lost and more so over the last three years or so, you know, after uh, once the pandemic ended and we started kind of going back out and into the world, we've lost the ability to connect with one another when it's essentially the only thing that we have. It's so critical to have these relationships, to let each other know that we're there for them. There's so much anxiety that brought on by social media. And I think about this all the time, you know, with children and when they first get their first phone, like, you know, it's usually like 10 or 12, you know, it's like, mom, I'm going to so-and-so's house for a sleepover and I need a phone because if something happens, I got to call you, you know, it, whatever the transition, that's how it worked for us. But whatever that transition is when they get their first phone, then then it's beginning to worry about social media and, and DMs and all these different things, especially with girls, because I have three girls. It's really, people think we're more connected now, but we're, we're less connected because we don't have that interpersonal relationship. People don't know how to talk with one another. If you meet someone and you're trying to make an impression, you're trying to let them know that, you know, you appreciate them, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand, you you talk to them and we've lost that ability. And I'm not putting anyone down that they can't do that. I'm just saying that that's a skill that's slowly getting lost because we don't know how to relate to one another. We're scared of one another. Do you think that translates into how people are getting coached online? Because, you know, I've talked about this with John Wellborn, but, and even our own program, the limitations of our program is I can't see the person right. in front of me and make the small changes. I have to always program to the generalization mm-hmm. and then hope that I can support or give them information to make those tweak themselves. Being in with a person yeah. is always best. Always, you know, people love to be at home and we think that's very powerful. But, you know, if you can be with another person, you're going to make the most process. How do you manage that in your 
in teaching coaches, which I know is largely what you're doing on how do you manage that in your own business, trying to keep that, that ability to meet the person in front of you in real time. The best way I found, and I mean, it's worked for us is video, right? So we have Zoom calls, we have three month check-ins as far as technique, you know, just constantly interacting. And there's adherence to like a lot of your higher end clients, it's hard to scale. For example, we have hundreds of people on the app. So it's more of a general application. Like you said, we kind of hedge our bets the best way we can with very comprehensive warmups, good fillers, things that cover nine tenths of the bases, you know, looking at Yonda's upper and lower crossing, you know, most people have tight head flexors, weak upper backs, you know, tight pecs. We're trying to go for that 99% roll and cover all of our bases. But scaling back, and if you have more VIP clients, they're more attentive, they're more willing to send you videos, progress reports, uh, physique updates, all those different things. So it's hard to scale. And I, I, I empathize and I understand what you're saying. But when we do our programming, and this is... This is what sets our programming apart. I'm sure your program is just as simple, but sophisticated. And we try to cover our, our bases and, and try to make the warmups very comprehensive. We started, we try to talk about breathing aspects. We try to provide not only primary lift, but also joint friendly variations. If the primary lift just doesn't feel right. Right. And we give them the opportunity to regulate and auto adjust and, and according to how well they're feeling. So do you, do you think you could have achieved that without having decades of working with people in front of us? You know, sometimes Juliet and I are like, you know, we know what we know because we're constantly testing what we know with teams, with organizations. We right. owned a gym for 16 years. You know, that's tens of thousands of sessions where we get to see. Now that's what we can make those decisions. But we see a lot of people developing these programs, I'm like, this program isn't real. This isn't real life because the person in front of you couldn't possibly do this. I, I see it every day. I see five sets of 20, four <laughs> sets of, you know, I, I see the, it's so bad. Everything's either barbell based. Everything's either too much volume. It, it's not sustainable. And these cookie cutter programs, to your point, are one of the reasons we are outliers, we, we have that experience to go along with the knowledge. And that's why, again, the program might seem simple from us, but it's very sophisticated in how we're thinking about transitioning between exercises, thinking about movements that open up things that are super tight, movements that provide ranges of motion for, you know, very limited shoulder issues, hip issues, knee issues, ankle issues. You know, for example, no one programs caustic squats, but we know how important it is for the adductors to be long and strong, right? No one does those caustic squats because they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they are terrible. Bulgarians and Cossacks. I'll tell you what, I, there's so, two, I mean, bless you for programming those. Let's even run with that. So how do we get our guys to caustic squat? Because you know, and Juliet knows, no one can do them right, right? Or no one has the potential to do them without blowing their groin out. So we give them band assistance, right? So if we take them outside the cage, we loop a band around the top of the, the cage or mid cage, we put it around their torso. Now we can give them a deload for their own body weight and have them sit in position. So a stirrette 
key or a star is get in that position and move around. Get in that position, create tension. Because once we know we can create tension, we can own that position a little bit better. We can get into a better upright position while our hip is in deep hip flexion. We give them the ability to adjust it specific to their potential. If that doesn't work, we can use band assistance and then holding the cage or band assistance holding a a bench in front of them. There's always a way to get it open, right? And then once we get it open, the idea is going back to the lines of tension. How can I facilitate tension into that joint position so that it's not as troublesome the next time? And then we work on that consistently because you know, and I know that mobility is transient right? So my current state of trainability that I've unlocked with this amazing warm-up and these amazing ranges of motion movement that I've created during this workout aren't going to be available to me tomorrow, okay? Because it's <laughs> transient. And that's why consistency is the key. I don't understand. I squatted heavy last week. Why do I have to squat heavy this week? <laughs> you know, I, it, it seems like the people want to pretend like the body is so complex and it is it's infinitely complex but the the training movements are pretty simple yes and regressing and progressing those basic movements are simple if people want to progress their system where can they follow you where they can they learn more about the cpps how can people start to understand a little bit more about the big brain of jim smith very simple my main site is dieselsc.com Diesel Strength Condition, dieselsc.com, or just go to Instagram and look up Smitty Diesel. If you look in the link for Instagram, I'm going to put a special gift for the Ready State. It'll be a follow along mobility uh, routine that you can do at home with no equipment, and uh, it, it'll be free for you just because of the wonderful podcast today. So, when and where can people purchase the Ageless Athlete? 5.0. <laughs> the book is done, thankfully, and uh, you guys are getting the very first copy. So that's on the way. But the website, as you know, as an online <laughs> a fitness entrepreneur, there's so many moving pieces. I'm waiting on the website. I'm thinking within the next seven to 14 days, the website will be available. Agelessathletesc.com. So agelessathletestrengthconditioning.com. Okay, great. We will, of course, put links to both those things in the show notes and, and to your Instagram as well. So everyone can go check out the mobility video. Thank you so much. That's really generous. Thank you so much. And before we, uh, I mean, hopefully next time I'm in PA, we can, uh, we can train together. I mean, it'd be an honor. It's great to see you, my friend. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you both, Juliet. Great to meet you. And I got to come out and see you guys. Please, anytime. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it.